the beautiful city of Boston in the United States. Celeste, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, before we talk about the many things we'd like to discuss, Bill from Hobart has texted in and said, Jesse Ventura is threatening to run for the presidency. What are your thoughts on that? He's asked me, but you're an expert. I'm flipping it over to you, Celeste. He was governor of Minnesota in a surprise result. What do you think about Jesse, Ven- Jesse the body Ventura's possibility of running for president, and if he does run, being elected? Well, if he runs, I, from what I understand, he's thinking about running on the Green Party ticket, mm. which uh, I'm not going to say is a total recipe for failure or disaster, but typically the United States has an extremely extremely strong two-party system and it's really hard for even a general independent type character to break through so running for the presidency on the green party ticket uh, even if you weren't uh, famously a professional wrestler you know in your past might be kind of tough um i'm not going to give it to him immediately and have to have to see how he how he plans to to prosecute that campaign the question is, though, would it take votes away from the Democrats? You would think the Green Party might do that. And with a higher profile, I think Jill Stein, she's run for the Green Party in the past and hasn't really made too much of a dent in the Electoral College. But you never know. Jesse Ventura might might pick up one state, but unlikely. Um, you know, would it do much damage to the Democrat vote at a time where they need every vote possible? Yeah, I think that anything that's going to do damage to the Democratic Party vote right now is something they should be seriously concerned about. If you have, typically, if you have a lot of people running as sort of fringe candidates or third party candidates, those aren't the same thing, by the way. You can have legitimate third party candidates, and then you can have people who are, you know, the flying spaghetti monster party or whatever that does exist in some form, actually. Um, you know, that's something that isn't that big of a deal in a regular election year, maybe. It's just part of the normal democratic process. I think right now when you have an incumbent president, um, Donald Trump, who's a Republican, you have people very split on what's going on in the United States, even before coronavirus screwed up our entire way of life, pretty much. Like, I don't think the Democrats probably want to encourage anybody to make this more complicated than it already is. Hmm. He does have elective office experience, though. I mean, that's more than Donald Trump had. He was the first person since, I think, Eisenhower elected president with no experience in elective office. Was I mean, and again, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Maybe I mean, I didn't take much notice of uh, Jesse Ventura as, uh, as a governor of Minnesota, but what kind of a governor was he? Because since then he's kind of traded in conspiracy theories and all sorts of weird things, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm not a huge expert on Jesse Ventura. What I would say is that his becoming governor of Minnesota and, uh, you know, the sort of the rise of his political career uh, maybe opened up a different era in American politics. American politics have definitely, you know, been attractive to people who have non-traditional backgrounds, but that doesn't mean they've been successful typically to become president. For example, you'd have to be a senator, a governor, uh, maybe in very rare cases you have people who come up through uh, the military without elective experience, but even that's 
super unusual. But Ventura, when he came out, then you started realizing, well, maybe there is a different path to to high office. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, who was a famous movie actor, who became governor of California. It doesn't mean that these people aren't competent to uh, hold a public office, that they don't have ideas, uh, that they can't run a budget and so on, but it's just unusual. And at this point, I would have to say, considering how far along we are in the process with the election coming up in November and the fact, again, that the country is in a complete state of turmoil, I'm not sure Ventura is going to uh, make a huge amount of headway as a presidential candidate Fair enough. now. Uh, just before we talk about what's happening in Massachusetts as well, one of our texters says it doesn't matter. Trump is across the line. The bookies know. Now, I don't know what the bookies, the bookmakers, were saying in November of 2016, whether or not Trump was the favourite. I don't think he was. But, um, I mean, anything could happen between now and then. Like, no one in January, on January 1 would have predicted that the entire economy would fall apart and there'd be 20 million people unemployed and that everyone would be staying home. Nobody would predict that, so you'd be a fool to predict what was going to happen in November, surely. Yeah, that's the big thing about politics here, and I think a lot of places, but in presidential politics, um, a minute is like an hour, you know, a, a day is like a year. Things can change really wildly over the course of a very short period of time. And yeah, there was definitely a time four years ago when people thought that the idea of Donald Trump becoming president was sort of ridiculous and that there was no way he could beat Hillary Clinton. And here we are. So, um, you know, making these, these predictions and having a huge amount of faith in them, uh, it's a dangerous game. I mean, yeah, as you say, though, I mean, look, at least the bookies are employed, right? <laughs> what they're betting on, I don't know at the moment. Horse racing is still going in Australia, but I don't know that... Is horse racing still going in the US? I, I don't know whether you're a racing fan or not. <laughs> I think that people are doing whatever they can here to get by. It's uh, You know, we have this uh, very dramatic unemployment rate right now. We have millions and millions of people out of work, maybe coming back to work, not really sure what their status is, people trying to get benefits, trying to get um, stimulus checks from the federal government and so on. But it's a, it's a bad situation right now. And from a political standpoint, Donald Trump's great strength, whether you like the guy or not, the economy was doing very well uh, under, uh, you know, on his watch. And now that that seems to have completely gone through the floor, uh, he's going to have to make some sort of different argument uh, to the American voter about why he should get another four years. You know, one of these days we're going to have to talk about the various state houses as well because, of course, every state has a state government. I was looking at some figures. <laughs> I don't know whether this is well known or not. And I know there's a lot we're going to talk to you, but this really struck me. that The state of Nebraska has a population of about 1.9 million, just under 2 million people, and has a state house with no upper house, only a lower house, or single body, unicameral, and there are only 49 people. It's the smallest in the US. New Hampshire has about 300,000 fewer people, so 1.6 million, has 424 people. They have one representative for three, every 3,000 people in New Hampshire. I mean, Massachusetts is fairly near New Hampshire. Does anyone ever say, hang on a minute, for a country that hates being overgoverned, boy, New Hampshire is overgoverned? New Hampshire is an interesting state. It really is. It's not a big state, 
but it's very interesting. Obviously, you're familiar with uh, the outsized role that New Hampshire plays and how we choose a president in the United States. It's the first in the nation primary. Uh, Iowa has the caucuses before New Hampshire, but uh, New Hampshire, the the um, the slogan of New Hampshire is live free or die. And I think they're very big on not being told what to do by anybody else. So if they want to have this system of government or if they only want to have uh, liquor sold in state-run liquor stores, uh, you know, that sort of thing, then that's, that's what they're going to do. They're, they're, uh, they're a very independent people, I would say. 400 people in their lower house and 24 in their upper house. That also seems totally and utterly out of whack. But anyway... There are serious things going on um, in Massachusetts in particular. 60,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19, nearly 3,500 deaths related to it, and you'd have to think more that perhaps people haven't connected up yet. It's a tragedy. Every one of those deaths is a tragedy. But how do people feel about what's happening? Do people think, you know, that's about, you know, that's a number that they can live with or is that people think that is way 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 too many for the population of this state i think unfortunately the way that people are looking at this sort of thing in massachusetts and elsewhere is relative i mean is it a tragedy an absolute human tragedy that we've lost more than 3400 people that are confirmed COVID-related deaths, of course it is. It's terrible. Even one death is too many, and there's no way around that. But if you look, again, at places like my home state, New York, where you have a dramatically, dramatically larger number of people infected, uh, people dying, there's a terrible, terrible story circulating uh, on the news right now about uh, a complaint that came in in a uh, Brooklyn in uh, in New York City um, about bodies being improperly stored in trucks on the street because there was nowhere to properly store and refrigerate those bodies for um, preparation for funerals or for burial. I mean, that's what's going on in New York. Do we have that in Massachusetts? We do not, not um, by any stretch, uh, are we dealing with a situation like what we see in New York City? Are we on lockdown yeah we are and that's been extended it was supposed to be lifted generally on may 4th i think now we're going to may 18th we have thousands of people sick um, thousands of people who have died but are we as bad off as other places in the country no does that make us feel better about it maybe that's an individual choice and a sad one to have to make so how's the governor doing? We've spoken about him in the past, that Governor Charlie Baker. Um, how's he handling this? Is it generally acknowledged that he's doing the best he can? Yeah, I think that um, Baker is maybe not as sort of colourful or uh, charismatic or flashy, whatever you want to call that, positively or pejoratively, as some of the other governors. You know, he doesn't have as, as, as sort of... Uh, big a public profile as say Andrew Cuomo in New York or Gavin Newsom in California, even Ron DeSantis of Florida, who doesn't necessarily have an entirely positive profile given what's going on in, in Florida with their sort of ability to have a unified plan for dealing with this. I think Baker, um, I have heard him called uh, 
full disclosure, I've heard him call this in my own house because my husband is originally from Massachusetts and, and is familiar with Baker, describes him as a technocrat. Mm. You know, he's somebody who's uh, very business-like. He's not super flashy, but I think he has taken a really, really measured approach, a very careful approach, but a reasonable approach to opening Massachusetts back up for business. We have not seen uh, the overtaxing or meltdown of the hospital system in Massachusetts that you may have seen in other places, um, which is great. So I think that he does deserve some credit for that. Now, are businesses angry with him for continuing the stay-at-home order and the closure of of non-essential businesses longer than was anticipated. Yes, the Massachusetts economy is certainly taking a beating. There's no question about that. So is is Charlie Baker universally beloved in Massachusetts? He is not. But are there people pointing at him and saying his leadership has been an utter failure in this crisis? I have not seen it. When you talk about a technocrat with not a lot of charisma who's a governor of Massachusetts, I think of Mike Dukakis. <laughs> Um, well, uh, notably, Dukakis was a Democrat and Baker is a Republican, uh, but Mitt Romney was maybe not the flashiest yeah. guy. He was sort of a businessman, a planner, uh, you know, not a song and dance man, but as a governor of Massachusetts as well, he was, I think, considered generally quite competent and, like Baker, also pretty moderate. Mm. Baker's a Republican, though. I mean, where is he on that Republican spectrum that has Trump at one end and I'm not even sure who's at the other end. They all seem to gather up at one end at the moment. (laughs) Uh, I think Baker is, uh, he's careful about what he says uh, in terms of things that could aggravate Trump, because especially right now, the states need federal aid and there have been cases which you probably have heard about where Trump has taken personal offense to the rhetoric of one governor or another, and at least at least implied, if not actually carried it out, that the federal government wasn't going to help those states out, was going to leave them to their own devices amid this pandemic, just because he didn't like the way they talked. So I think Baker is not, um, you know, playing soccer under the hornet's nest, so to speak. But at the same time, he has come out and said, uh, including recently, has said, for example, that he doesn't think that Trump's idea of tying coronavirus relief money to sanctuary city policies that have to do with cracking down on illegal immigrants is a good idea. He says that's just that's just not how it should be. So he is comfortable with uh, with being open about when he doesn't agree with Washington. I don't think he goes out of his way to do it uh, in a manner that will be upsetting to a president who can be rather thin-skinned, to say the least. That's one way of putting it. Now, Bill has texted in, different Bill, not Bill from Hobart, but another Bill, says, what would the US be like if Hillary had won? Well, it's impossible to tell. Who knows what it would have been like, whether the economy would have been as strong, we don't know. I think we can definitely look at some certain things that um, that Trump, you know, has President Trump has done. There would have been different Supreme Court. That's certainly one thing. But when it comes to, say, the coronavirus, I mean, we can't possibly guess what President Hillary Clinton would have done, but you'd have to think it would be slightly different, wouldn't it? Look, I I think you're right. It's really super hard to guess, and I, I 
I don't know if I'm the right person to be predicting uh, the future or looking at this sort of uh, through a crystal ball. I think that what what I have been hearing from people who are upset about how this has played out in the United States is that they feel like it's not that the virus would not have come and that it would not have spread and that people would not have gotten sick and died. That would have happened no matter who was president. I think that people feel like the response would have been more coordinated um, from the White House on down, and that maybe preparations would have gone more quickly, that plans that were put into place uh, under the Obama administration would have been kept in place rather than dismantled, um, that people who were put in charge of pandemic alert, pandemic response, uh, national security as it pertains to the, the health and well-being of the American public, those things might have been um, better positioned to to put us in a situation where we weren't sort of scrambling around trying to figure out what to do. Now, I mean, can I tell you honestly that if Hillary Clinton had been president, she would have said, well, you know, oh, we'd have, the hell with the economy. Everyone stay home starting January 1st because we might have a pandemic on our hands. I can't tell you that. That's, I don't think anybody could tell you that. Maybe not even Hillary Clinton herself, who at the moment, of course, is busy trying to get Joe Biden elected to replace Donald Trump. But I think the general sense is that if the damage could not have been completely prevented, at least it might have been somewhat modulated by a more coordinated earlier response on behalf of the federal government. For some people, though, the response would have been very different because you could absolutely guarantee that no matter what happened, if she'd acted two weeks earlier or a month earlier because maybe they still had that pandemic response team in the White House that President Trump disbanded or um, they actually had someone in China whose, response, whose you know, responsibility was to actually look at um, pandemics and that job was abolished as well. But you could be certain that the right wing or the Fox News gang would have been absolutely overly critical of Hillary Clinton no matter what she did. So, you know, they've been very, very soft-peddling on President Trump and haven't been critical at all of his uh, response, but you'd have to think that they would have been very critical of President Clinton's response. I think so, although, you know, you see a lot of stuff uh, in the United States and elsewhere, I'm sure, but um, happen to be looking at it from here. Um, you have people who are very, very strongly supportive of Donald Trump as president, but are also out there protesting against stay-at-home orders. The federal government has encouraged uh, stay-at-home orders, closure of non-essential businesses, a very, very phased reopening of the economy uh, across the country. They are not saying throw open the doors and just go back to work, go back to school, go back to getting your hair cut and your nails done and eating in restaurants. So there's this sort of this real disconnect between people who are going to these protests with like make America great again hats and Trump flags and signs, but who are saying uh, this is an overreach by government. Yes. We're being held prisoners in our homes. It's sort of which, which way do you want it? Mm. it it's hard to, it's hard to fathom for All right. Just before we go, we've seen the incredible effort by uh, now Colonel Tom Moore in uh, England, who's raised hundreds of millions of pounds uh, for the National Health Service. Well, 
a nurse in Boston decided to run a, a, a marathon um, and she did it in her own way in the Back Bay neighbourhood, which is a very nice neighbourhood in uh, Boston. What did she do? Yeah, so the uh, the Boston Marathon is a very, very big event here, a major gathering event. It's sort of a community spirit thing. Also famously uh, became, unfortunately, the site of a, a, a deadly bombing here in 2013. But the marathon was called off or at least postponed this year because of coronavirus and uh, trying to keep people socially distanced from each other. So one nurse decided what she was going to do well, she was going to run a marathon route, not that same route, but she was going to run 26.2 miles, and she was going to do it in a way that spelled out the word Boston Strong, which became sort of the rallying cry of the city after the marathon bombing. And so she did this. She runs around and around. Um, there's an app, which I didn't know about, called Strava, where you can chart out the course that you want to run, to spell out different words, okay. running around the block and across streets and so on, which is pretty cool. So she wanted to spell out Boston Strong. So she runs 26.2 miles, which is far. I could never do it. Uh, and then she realized that she actually spelled out Boston Strong, kind of left out the last end. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. But a lot of people thought this was, I mean, sort of hilarious, but also still appreciated the fact that she was uh, she was going to all this work and all this effort. And uh, so this has become kind of a, a inspirational yet cautionary tale about about resilience and spelling. Fair enough, too. All righty, we wish her all the best. We wish you the best for a healthy time. I hope you're staying healthy, staying isolated in a way, and. Um, We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks' time, Celeste. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katz in Boston on ABC Radio. You're with Rod Quinn.